Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. In any event, going back to uh, Joe V. Vercano, um, so he goes and he quits his job. He goes through that whole speech, which is just absolutely amazing. And I would say, honestly, if you would just want to get a little... No, no, I, I don't want to say that. I was going to say, if you wanted to get a little taste, just... just go watch the YouTube clip of Joe versus Volcano quitting the job. But you know what? It's taken out of context already, so you wouldn't be able to really get a full flavor of it. Go and watch the movie. Or at least just watch the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes, where from start to after he quits, and then maybe go see if that uh, makes you go sit under a tree somewhere and think about your life a little bit. Maybe it will. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) so he goes and quits his job and then goes home there's a couple other little scenes here and there but then the next day he's sitting just playing his ukulele he knows he has his terminal illness now six months to live so he's just sitting in his bathrobe and there is a knock at the door and bam i I can't remember who the actor is. Probably should have done a little research before I delved into this one. But he was one of the guys, uh, one of the pilots from the movie Airplane, those comedies. So do your own research, huh? <laughs> uh, in any event, um, he shows up and he's. <laughs> this is where some of the symbolism comes in. So he shows up. And he's he's just this this crazy old man, crazy white hair, but like beet red sunburnt face comes in and he's looking around at the house. Oh, this place is dingy. Oh, you're wearing a robe. Ah, you got a job? He's like, Oh, I just quit my job. Sounds like a stupid job. Good for you. Sits down and basically then proposes that, you know, he owns this company that makes superconductors but he can't get any of this stuff except on this one little island and they have this problem where they need somebody to jump into the volcano sacrifice themselves so the volcano or the big woo doesn't uh drown the whole island but this guy is literally when he even when he says what he wants joe to do like right before he says that he's like you got any whiskey and he just looks like the devil himself just absolutely i don't know it's it's crazy because joe's basically gone from this industrial devil situation oh man these sales i think i gotta go well joe goes from this industrial horrible situation he's almost in like purgatory in a way and then now he's being he's sort of gotten out of purgatory but he's being he i don't know he's coming into contact with basically the devil in a way but not 100%. I don't know. It is really, it's it's just, <laughs> to know what they were thinking, to sitting there when they were trying to make this movie would just be, ah, to be a fly on that wall. Ah, be amazing. But so he comes in and <laughs> he lights one of those 
old safety camping matches that are that have like an inch of sulfur on it so the tip just burns so he lights it. he's like i want to hire you to jump into a volcano and this flame is burning next to his sunburnt red face and that white hair and those beady eyes and uh <laughs> i don't know it's just amazing absolutely amazing and so they go and, and Joe agrees to do it. So he has to, but he has to, there's this laid out sort of odyssey in a way because he's in Staten Island. He's got to go to New York. He's got to shop, get all the things he needs. Then he's got to go take a plane to LA, meet up with an assistant there, or his daughter, and then get on to a boat, sail across the Pacific and to this tiny island of Waponi Woo. So he has to go on this odyssey. And I'm going to go check the sails, and then we'll we'll go from there. So um, Joe's been offered, and now Joe is accepting. <laughs> Let's turn into the Joe vs. Volcano show here at the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Joe Man. All right, I'm back. I'm back. Oh! So we're basically, uh, the boat is pointed, Sparrow, excuse me, Sparrow is pointed almost due north, right? So we're in the Gulf Stream, right? In the thick of it. It's running about four knots, three and a half, four knots. And it's running essentially to the east. But there's no wind except the fact that we are moving because we're pointed to the north somehow we're moving sideways through the water or the water is moving sideways like a conveyor belt so we've got this three four knot wind essentially coming from the east the direction we're drifting that uh, was keeping the sails going but now you know uh, all right it's the weirdest thing. And this was happening last night, too. And I don't know. This this is the only thing that would convince me that even things like Mighty Sparrow, sailboats, cars, whatever, barns, houses, I don't know, do have some sort of being to them. Call it consciousness. Call it whatever. I don't know. But on this boat, I swear, and it's this boat is way too heavy for my weight to be able to change how something's going. But if I were to walk up and stand in the cockpit, the sails would stop slatting and the boat would start sailing. And if I come down below and I'm down here doing something else and I'm not paying attention, boom, everything starts slatting. And it is literally like clockwork and i've done this a million times where i'm down here trying to sleep or something like that and then bang 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 sails are slatting and i walk up there and all of a sudden a little breeze picks up sails stop slatting we start sailing everything is good stand around for like five minutes ten minutes everything's fine well i guess i'll go back down below when i go back down below put my head down as soon as i'm not paying attention anymore bang 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 Sales start sliding again. And this is literally just what happened not two seconds ago while I was up there. So I go up there because the sails were sliding so hard, and then the boat starts sailing. 
I almost want to try it again just to just to prove it. Oh man, they are slatting hard. I think it is time to just pull the sails down. Interrupted once more. Uh, we will get back into our story of Joe vs. Volcano and this rambling podcast, which I don't know. I'm enjoying it. It be I, I'm trying every once in a while, and I, I'm sure most podcasters must must go through this where you're doing a show and you're just thinking to yourself, Jesus. Who on earth would actually listen to this thing all the way through? <laughs> but then at the same time, I think of some of the podcasts that I've listened to, and I don't know. I I enjoy, I really enjoy some of the oddball ones where the people are just chatting away, just la-da-da-da-da, and you're just listening, thinking, like, ah, yeah, man, I, I thought of that before. All right, I got to go take these sales down. Pausing again. Ah, mate! Pausing, you can probably hear me yelling. If I yell loud enough, cripes. See, yeah, now we're starting to go around. Well, just like I said before, I go up there, and all of a sudden, breeze picks up, and we start sailing again. No more slatting. I don't know. It is getting now. It's it's pretty much dark, so maybe this is the post-sunset boost that I was talking about. Who knows? All I know, pretty soon it's dinner time. I got to figure out what I'm going to eat. <sighs> it's nice. I've got the interior lighting on, which is all just LED stripping, but it's behind the handhold, so it's all backlighting. Or I don't know. There's got to be a technical term like reflective lighting, maybe something like that. So you don't actually see the LEDs, but you see the glow from them. Pretty cool. I can plug them into this little goal zero thing which is a big lithium-ion power pack. It's my backup for in case I lose all electricity out of, you know, either the solar panels, the engine, whatever. I could still at least do my Garmin inReach and my uh, sat phone and computer, charge those, because it comes with a little tiny solar panel, and I actually have two of those. Backup for a backup. That's what it's all about. But anyway, so back to Joe versus Volcano. So he goes, and uh, one of my favorite scenes, and this is one where you could definitely go watch the YouTube clip because it's just funny. This character, he goes, Joe goes shopping in New York, and one of the places he goes to is a place that sells like fine handcrafted luggage, like suitcases and trunks and things. <laughs> And he goes in to buy these trunks and he, he describes what, you know, to this strange sort of stringy, wiry guy, what he's he's going on this, this sort of adventure, this odyssey, if you will. And and the guy goes and opens up like sort of the back room gates and it's this real fancy, you know, New York City sort of place and <laughs> wheels out this this steamer trunk that's just, you know, you can put, you can hang, it's got drawers, it's watertight, all so he goes through it all. It's <laughs> like, because they, you know, money's no object at this point because the guy's paying for everything. And he, he goes, oh, I'll take four of them. And the guy just looks at him so deadpan. May you live to be a thousand years old. 
<laughs> I have used that. I have used that so many times when, when anybody like people that I worked with, if I'm like, oh, dude, I gotta, I gotta ask you, you know, can you do this? I know you've done a bunch of it, but can you just do one more? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Just, May you live to be a thousand years old. Because I mean, that is the ultimate compliment if you think about it. Saying like, hey. You know what? You are so good. I want you to live 10 times as long as you should because this planet needs a person like you around for that long. Mm. Oh, lemon seeds. Almost bit into those. Yikes. Ah, oh, cripes. Ah, they fell on the cabin sole. That's all right. I got to do a little mop up around here. I like to do it about every two, two days or so, just because you get a lot of, a lot of hair, you get a lot of cooking stuff that falls, and, and you're walking around it, so you're smushing it all in because you're bare feet. Boy, my feet feel like freaking rubber soles at this point. My hands, too. <laughs> I felt like such a greenhorn the other day. Uh, when I went through that, that day with sort of the uh, the big squall and, and all that sort of stuff, man, you know, I had to do a lot of sail changes, which meant, you know, ripping on these lines and, and putting reefs in, taking them out, all that sort of stuff. And your hands get a good workout. And my hands were not getting any semblance of a workout all the time I was down in South Carolina. So it's punching a keyboard and or diddling around on my iPhone. And man, I, my hands hurt so bad. They just sting to like touch the line. And I went up to go and sweat the halyard, pull up the mainsail this morning. Oh, oh, I felt like such a, just a dandy. Oh man. I don't even know if that word is politically correct. But I was a wimp. I was like, oh, my fingers, my fingers hurt. They did, though, man. It stung. It stung real bad. And it's kind of funny because I'm not a sadomasochist or anything like that. I don't like pain. Pain hurts. Ouch. Make it stop. But when you're a sailor, there's a certain part of your brain that says, Hey, whoa, get on with it, buddy. You know, uh, if you were back in the old days, they'd be uh, making fun of you, like left, right, and center. And even though it's just me out here, I make fun of my own self when I think that. And so I'm like, get around. I just grab a line. I'm like, rah! <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not screaming or anything, but I was definitely like, ow! Ooh! But I just made myself... There's times where, I don't know, like a hardy, oh, see, there goes the wind again. If I, if I walk up there, I'm going to have to pause the podcast again, which, you know, I don't know if that really matters much if you're listening to it. Matters more for me because I lose my train of thought, I guess, but. <sighs> I got to figure out what to eat for dinner. These cocktails are going right to my head. Boy, it is good, though. I, I love me a good compatch where the old water is nice and calm, too. 
Don't know why I'm going into my old New York Jersey accent. Probably going to sound pretty stupid. But, boy, when you're out here on the ocean, actually it's kind of Chicago Bears throwback to the old Saturday late night live ones. But uh, you're out here, a couple hundred miles offshore. The winds, they're rough. The sea, it's rough. You go through, you have to, you know, fend for your own. And then things calm down. After they calm down for a bit, they really calm down. And the sea goes almost flat. We're not there yet, but telling you, it's not far off. And when you get these conditions, you got to just love them because you've gone through so much to get there. It makes it that much better. That is something that I have tried to keep as my mantra, especially sailing in crummy places, a.k.a. the Southern Ocean and things like that. Uh, I was thinking about it actually yesterday because I am in sort of that a mini version of the same situation I found myself on the big trip where I left, weather wasn't great, I left Buford, it was super hot, getting super sunburnt, going through the ICW, watching the temperature gauge on the engine, always being like, is it, is it creeping? Uh. Uh, and then getting out into decent wind, but a little rocky and really, and then the winds just kept increasing, then there's thunderstorms, and then there's the big squall, go through that, and then... Now I'm in this place of, you know, obviously the wind could be a little better. Just just give me like five knots more or whatever. But the world is is back to calm and friendly and nice. And there's dolphins and things like that. And there's going to be stars out there pretty soon. And I don't know. To experience this just right out of the gate would have been one thing. And it would have been great and it would have been nice. But to go through three days of, you know, having to work the boat and get the boat through and deal with some of the stuff, it makes what I'm going through right now so much better. And the, the real example of that was on the big trip, you know, getting out of the trades in the South Atlantic, hitting the roaring 40s, and literally spending four and a half months going around the planet through some of the scariest, nastiest ocean uh, ever, and then coming out, going north in the South Atlantic, and then finally there were those three days in the variables. Uh, I did a chapter in the book called My Shangri-La, and that was essentially the finest example of getting going through hell to find heaven and experiencing that for three days of just light, wonderful winds, an easy sea, the weather was warming up, and I had just been basically wondering if I was going to make it for so long. I mean, not only the weather was bad in the Southern Ocean, but I was running out of food, and I didn't have much water, and there were all these other things and problems and stresses that all of a sudden all melted away 
and the sky was nice the clouds were nice the sea was nice the wind was perfect and we just sailed and we were going in the right direction i mean you know that was 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 but what made it really special was the fact that i had to go through so much to get there and i think there's something to be said about that in life because i i know in some respects, you think, oh, I just want everything to be perfect all the time. But, <coughs> excuse me, in, in reality, if you have everything perfect all the time, then is it really perfect? Because if you're trying to define, you know, what is real perfection, if the fact that you can make one experience better by going through three or four bad experiences beforehand. I mean, take take your favorite food, and I usually use this as an example a lot. Take your favorite food that you want to eat every single day, or maybe you do, and don't eat it for a month, and then eat it after a month, and tell me that that does not taste a thousand times better than it tasted when you ate it every single day still your favorite food. It hasn't changed. But the fact that you have gone and and basically made it so you, you, you're not eating it, you've abstained from it. Is that the right word? I don't know. Gosh, I hate it when I'm looking for I think the right word. Uh, I should have paid attention more in school. What a waste. Uh, oh, well. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I got to go check these sales again. We're, we're at that point. Oh, we're at that point. So I'll tell you what. What I'm going to do, we're going to pause on the podcast now one more time. I'm going to reassess, see what's going on. Maybe we'll sit down for more. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, this is kind of a, an oddball one. But... Uh, hopefully hopefully it's enjoyable if they i i don't know i like to for some reason when i because you 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 always got to know your audience and stuff and when i picture when i try and picture uh a listener somebody listening to this podcast i i instantly think of somebody commuting on the east coast from somewhere probably around like the DC Baltimore area doing like a two hour commute to work and listening to me. <laughs> I don't know why. And that's, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're like, yeah, this is great. Or maybe you're just thinking to yourself, geez, they, they must be just, just holding on by a thread before they unsubscribe to that channel. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Coming back in a bit. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the trip from South Carolina to Maine. <laughs> now we are on day seven, day five and six, having been in very, very light wind conditions. The sea last night became almost perfectly flat, which in some ways was a bit ominous. Um, I never really take to some of the superstitions, but... Uh, I don't know. There is something to be said about uh, an ocean that goes completely dead flat and then sort of expecting a little bit of a consequence, I guess you could say, from that. But in any event, uh, 
downloaded the weather this morning and found uh, that, yeah, we're in for a bit of a blow as we uh, make our way up towards George's Bank. Right now we're at uh, 39 degrees, 50 minutes north, 67 degrees, 067 degrees, 26 minutes west. And that puts us uh, just about, I don't know, 200 miles, 180 miles to the southeast of Cape Cod. Um, but Cape Cod's not really the issue. The issue is George's Bank. And originally, I had sort of planned to go sailing up in between Cape Cod and George's Bank, which is known as the Great South Channel. The only issues that I have with that, because normally that's the way I go, uh, but there's a lot of fishing boats and there's a lot of traffic from all the ships heading up to Boston and then also heading over to New York. <clears throat> and then down the east coast so not great for the old solo sailor uh, I've been through that a million times and you just don't sleep and when the weather's really foggy and stuff you also have to listen to the radio constantly and I don't know it gets old pretty quick so this time I'm going to be leaving George's Bank to port going around it and then going up to Maine which is a little longer uh, I think the overall distance it probably adds about 60 miles, 50, 60 miles, something like that. But with this new weather forecast coming in, <clears throat> uh, it's even more, more, uh, I don't know, I want to say more safe. That's just not even, that doesn't sound right at all. Uh, I think it's going to be advantageous of me to go around George's Bank instead of in between it and Cape Cod because one, if things really start to blow, like if this system sort of um, accelerates and the winds, the winds right now are projected to be in the mid twenties with gusts up into the high thirties. And uh, that's not great. It's uh, not terrible by any means, but what, what you always have to consider is that the forecast isn't right and things get a little out of hand a little quickly. Um, and around George's Bank, the currents that rip around that are insane. And so you get in the wrong place at the wrong time and you're in close to all these shoals and such. It's not great. So with the winds coming predominantly out of the south-southwest, uh, if I have to run straight with this with this for a day or something like that head up towards good old nova scotia uh, i'd rather not have anything in my way aka george's bank uh downwind of me so i don't think it'll come to that i think we'll be pretty much set to uh set to jet but um you know like I always say, you just want to be prepared you want to make sure you sort of have everything sorted to the best of your abilities, gives you that little extra boost of confidence and just makes it so that you can go through the motions that you might have to go through quickly, efficiently, and without um, without having to dig through half the boat to get to like your storm jib or something. So as far as my setup for this, um, I just sort of went through down below and I... I packed up and lashed down you know anything and everything that 
sort of has been bobbing around a little bit in these last few calm days because get a little complacent out there when the wind's blowing five knots and the seas are six inches. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, my gosh. I totally, I, you know, it, it for, for a couple of days it was a little on-off with the wind and the sails had to come down and stuff, but, boy, there were hours and hours and hours of just that perfect light breeze, big sails up, boats moving through the water, but it's not bobbing up and down. And, man, those conditions are great. Watched a couple movies, did some stargazing, basically got to cook. I, I made a couple of uh, cauliflower pizzas and all that sort of stuff, and those are cool because they take like an hour to make. So, it, I don't know, it's, it's pretty involved, but just the smell of, of food in the oven Sure beats the smell of uh, a can of ravioli boiling on the stove. <laughs> but right now we're um, we're we're blasting along. The wind's probably blowing maybe around 18 knots or so, um, pretty much directly from the south. And we are one reef and the staysail, so not overpowered by any means. And uh, we're flying right along, doing about between five and seven knots um kind of little baby surfs down these waves which is great but yeah i mean as as far as the other setup so the two big sail bags of the the jib and then the drifter i brought those down below and put those in the four peak um, normally they just live up there on the bow and they actually were there during that first little blow off cape hatteras but uh, I figured, you know what, I'll just put them down below anyway. That way I don't have to deal with them. Got a nice clean foredeck, and uh, and I'm not going to be using them <laughs> uh, for the duration of this trip because it's only, I think, just about 300 miles to Rockland from this point. But, uh, yeah, so got those stowed, and then I also brought out the bag with the storm jibs. I've got two of those, one's super heavy-duty. And then one's a little lighter, uh, but even smaller. So I've got those two ready to go at a moment's notice. And um, yeah, other than that, <laughs> just sort of going around tidying everything up, making sure making sure nothing's gonna fly around because it'll probably get pretty lumpy out here for the next uh, in the next 24 hours. I think the the brunt of it's gonna be uh in the wee hours of the morning but luckily all the way out here i could start to see the half light around like four in the morning 4 30 something like that and uh, tomorrow it should be even more because we'll be further north and a little further east so i'm expecting very little darkness uh tonight probably from like 10 till 3.30, 10 till 4, something like that. But um, And I brought out the other chart that encompasses the Gulf of Maine with George's Bank and Cape Cod so I can get a real good read. And it was kind of interesting because I could see some of my former tracks. And I've actually gone on the outside of George's before. Um, it's kind of a weird place. You know, they're, they're shallow areas, but it's not that shallow. But it's really not the fact, I don't know, it's it's crazy. You know, it goes from the continental shelf and it's, what is it? I'm, I'm looking at it right here. Let me, let me take a gander at this old thing. Oh, yeah. So it's like 
2,000 fathoms, and a fathom is six feet, and then it just shelves right up to about 40 fathoms uh, near Georges, and then there's places on Georges that are, you know, seven fathoms, so 40 feet deep, even less. So there's there's really some shallow stuff there. Two two fathoms, three fathoms. Tide tidal rips. Oh geez. Yeah, I don't know. It's just not a place you want to go. So I'm just gonna give it a little bit of room, but I I don't want to give it too much room because the winds are gonna be coming. Right about the time that I hit that, the winds should be pretty strong out of the southwest, and then to get from there right to Rockland. It's going to mean me just about reaching across the wind. And the only problem with that is if the seas are breaking like crazy, I'm not going to want to be reaching across them, getting taking the full brunt of the seas on the beam uh, on the side of the boat. So learn my lesson on that one in the Indian Ocean. It doesn't take the, uh, the size of a wave that can really do some damage to the boat and turn her over is not that big. There used to be an equation for it, and I want to say it's it's somewhere around if you take half of the length of the boat, and that is the size of a breaking wave that can roll the boat over, supposedly, theoretically. Some scientists figured that one out. But um, <clears throat> for me, that basically means, yeah, a 15-foot breaking wave, and uh, that'll take me down. So I don't want to uh, test that theory at all, and uh, hopefully I don't have to. And I don't think I will. I mean, you know, for me right now, it's, it's all about prep work and making sure. And it's already been done. I've just been up in the cockpit reading. Um, but the skies are overcast, which is always a little ominous. Luckily, there's no, no rain, thunderstorms, all that sort of stuff yet. Um, knock on wood sure there probably will be but uh i don't know yeah it'll be sort of a sporty end of the end of the the trip up here and then the winds quiet down um by you know tomorrow night a little bit they at least taper off and that's when i'm crossing the gulf of maine and heading up to rockland and i don't know the timing of this whole thing i don't think it's going to be great because one of the problems with sailing into Rockland is once you get within a certain number of miles of sort of the outer islands up there, that's where all the lobster pots start showing up. And when I mean a lot, I mean there are thousands and thousands of lobster pots. And with this boat, one of the issues, um, I have to sort of protect Mongo because if I run over one of these lobster pot lines just right, it can snag Mongo's rudder. It's happened one time before, and uh, those things are heavy-duty, and they use really strong line, and it can damage and hurt Mongo, and i got to protect Mongo. So uh, that being said, it just means that I have to go in there <clears throat> during daylight. And depending on mileage and everything, what I'm hoping is... Uh, if anything, we have to do like I did last year where I think we, we got within like 10 miles or something of the outlying islands. It was dead calm, but, uh, we ended up just hoving to for a little bit, slept for a few hours. And then at, at first light 
made our way in. And if I have to do that, then it'll be an arrival on uh, uh, arrival on Sunday morning, maybe, I guess, something like that. I don't know. I try not to put too much emphasis on an ETA or an arrival date because you just never know. I'm more interested in keeping the boat comfortable and safe. And if I have to sail 20, 30, 50 miles out of my way to make sure I can do that, then I do it. But uh, that's kind of the nice part about doing these trips on your own boat, you know, as opposed to doing yacht deliveries where they're paying you. They don't want to pay for an extra day. They want their boat there then to hell with the comfort. And that's fine. You know, I understand that. But not on Sparrow, baby. Sparrow's all about cruising in style. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's the update for today. And um, I think should be I, – I doubt I'll be able to do one tonight or tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow after after things have sort of eased off a little bit um just because it might get it's probably gonna get really lumpy out here um but i will check in hopefully uh from the gulf of maine on the next one and then it's gonna be peeling into rockland do a wrap up and uh i don't know i think i got enough with that long rant about joe versus the volcano i've got i've got probably two episodes maybe even three (laughs) or maybe i'll just do one super long episode yeah probably not I like to keep them at that hour, hour mark. But uh, anyway, checking in and um, the last, the last little leg of the journey right here aboard Old Mighty Sparrow. It has been a treat, I'll tell you. This, this has been a wonderful trip. Been able to really just relax, eat well, see the sights, enjoy the ride, and very different from my trip to nowhere around the Atlantic. That was frustrating and scary and. Uh, I don't even like thinking about it. It's the trip we don't speak of. That which did not happen. <laughs> but, yeah, for for this trip, it has been so far absolutely fantastic. Sparrow has done great. Mongo, awesome. The sails. I still I can't believe this, these two sails that I'm using right now, the main and the staysail, were the ones originally built for the trip around the world. And they both, I don't know, they probably have like 50, 60,000 miles on them. The main has never been into a sail place for repair. The staysail, uh, my brother repaired um, just because it, it really bore the brunt of a lot of stuff. But, um, geez, just fantastic. Unbelievably strong sails, 50,000 miles. And I feel like they, they got another trip around the world in them. If you wanted to, I mean, I would probably need to take the main in and get the luff tape and a few other things repaired on it. But um, as far as the overall material and shape and everything like that, just bulletproof. So there you go, folks. That's my wrap up for today. I've got a little rum in my coffee because I'm hoping to get a nice little afternoon nap in before things pipe up. Because I could possibly be up most of the night. Um, and that's my game plan there. So just reading my little book. It's getting very exciting. And I will check back in. All right, guys. Well, I'm hoping my computer's not going to die. Uh, 
because I don't, I don't know if I could charge it tonight. We're on the precipice of the final, <clears throat> final day at sea. I just woke up from a uh, five-hour <laughs> nap, uh, dead to the world after last night's fiasco, which I will be getting into shortly. Um, but I'm, I'm here. I'm deep in the Gulf of Maine and uh, land of the lobster pot. And uh, we just passed a guy doing some, some lobster hauling right now. <clears throat> but uh, had to pull a reef out of the main, get us going a little. I think that was part of the problem is that uh, we went from bouncing around like a, a headless chicken to a soothing rocking motion, quiet as a church mouse and sliding across the Gulf of Maine in its natural state, which is flat. <laughs> it's not totally flat calm, but it's pretty close. Um, so last night, as I approached uh, George's Bank, I was heading towards the east side of it. Normally, I go through the Great South Channel in between Cape Cod and, and the bank. Uh, but I didn't want to deal with all the traffic. Ha, ha, ha. So I went to the other side uh, near the Canadian border, uh, at least with the fishing, fishing rights, and wow, literally just tanker after tanker, and then followed by fishing boat after fishing boat after fishing boat. I mean, the, yeah, I, I would have figured there was just a big city on the horizon. It was so bright, and by this time it's already dark, <clears throat> and when you see that many... And it's only like 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know you're in for it. <clears throat> and in for it, I was. So out, outside, it was foggy. There were hints of lightning um, every once in a while. No thunder, but definitely lightning. And uh, the winds were, yeah, I'd say steady, like 15 to 18 knots out of the southwest. So the good direction for me. So I was broad reaching. And, uh, and actually running, because you have to go around George's. Uh, I know I could probably cut straight over it, but currents are crazy. There's some really shallow stuff up there. And uh, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, it's hell ground, because when you look at the chart of George's, there's as many depth numbers as there are shipwrecks. <clears throat> so it's not a place to, to take lightly, and that's due mostly... Mostly to things like um, sudden storms way back in the day, 100 years ago. These guys are in wooden ships, anchored, doing their fishing. And these storms would kick up. And with the currents, it can just get really nasty really fast. So <clears throat> in any event, I still heed the warning of sailors of Yorn. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but... In any event, I've got some hot coffee now. Uh, oh, yeah, so I'm approaching. I don't want to lose my train of thought. So I'm approaching, and then I come across a fleet of, I don't know, certain type, because you, everyone, you'll have these clumps of a whole bunch of boats, and these guys were draggers. They were going slow, um, but they were moving in these sort of coordinated patterns real close to each other and such. A lot of chatter on the old VHF and uh, 
So I just dive right in because it's just me. I'm just sailing. I had the engine on um, after a while because it started passing whales. Uh, and when I'm up there and all of a sudden I hear a whale blow its thing. And, you know, there's so much fishing going on up there. I can only imagine the noise level underneath the sea from just, you know, hundreds of diesel engines throbbing away. And uh, I don't know. But I still feel like I guess those things could be asleep, just so used to it, because we've been doing it for the last, like, 50, 60, 80 years. Um, so I turned my engine on and just idle it so that I wouldn't startle any any old whale. Because if I hit a whale with this boat, it would definitely probably take the bobstay out, um, which would be really bad. It would hurt the whale as well, because I get that, like, sort of hook appendage for the bobstay right at the water line and uh it's pretty beefy it would uh, enter the skin of a whale i would think because sparrows pack in about uh i don't know 13 13 tons behind her and um that's a lot even for a whale so i got the engine on so that's making noise ais alarms going bananas vhf chatter 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 a little lightning that i can see through the fog and it's raining intermittently, and so I'm basically just going from up on deck in the cockpit, down below, check check instruments, go back up. Because one of the things that I like with Sparrow, the, the simplicity of my setup, is that there aren't any of those uh, screens up there in the cockpit. Once you're, once you're out of the cabin, you're in the wild. And I equate it to not taking a cell phone when I go camping. Um, boy, there was a tone there, wasn't there? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, so it's, I don't know. I, I think, I think it's far greater to, um, to focus on the wind and the world around you when you're in the cockpit and at the controls. And then, you know, if you need a little more detailed action, a little GPS, a little, uh, AIS, you come down below, you get out of there, you focus in on that. And then you return to the helm station sort of thing. At least that's the way I set it up. Plus, uh, probably the biggest re- biggest thing about it is just that it cuts the amount of light that's in the cockpit. So at night, you can see everything. I mean, there's I have a little compass up there, but that's it. And um, I turn that light on and off manually. So <clears throat> in any event, lights everywhere, raining fog. Woe is me. It's getting late. One, two in the morning, that's about when I had my couple of close calls, trying to call these guys on the radio, see which way they're going, what they're doing. I'm getting a little discombobulated because of the fog. And this one guy, I mean, he's within like um, two-tenths of a mile, real close, real bright, real big thing, dragging, probably a, a bottom a bottom dragger fisherman guy. I don't know what they call those, but... I end up having to engage the engine, get out of his way, cut around behind him, tried to call him on the VHF, couldn't couldn't get any uh, reply. Because a lot of times you just don't know what they got going behind the boat. Because if they're dragging a big, long net or something that they're actually hauling in, it might be kind of close to the surface. I don't know. I'm not, not a fisherman. But uh, all I know is I want to stay out of their way. And uh, I don't want to 
get tangled. But, you know, obviously they saw me. My AIS is working. I know that. So, yeah. Uh, he didn't get on the horn and start yelling at me, so I just cut behind him, and then I was I, I went and cut in between two other ones. I mean, it was just, it was laughable at one point of how I'm just out here sailing through, you know, a group of 25 or 40 boats, <laughs> just, and I, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm not getting yelled at, <laughs> like, ah, what are you doing, you idiot? Get out of here. Get your blowboat out of here. That's what you sort of expect, but I don't know. I guess uh, my maneuvers must have been, uh, it must have been acceptable because, uh, you know, you know, they're all seeing it. They got all, all of those guys have their big radar and everything. So they saw where I was going and uh, had it not been seaman, had it not been seaman-like, then uh, I probably would have heard about it. But anyway, I cut through, get, get in between these last two cut right behind one guy and then right in front of the other guy and this one I probably had a half mile on each boat so it wasn't anywhere near as close as the other one but uh, and those seemed to be sort of the northern edge of the fleet and then it was just me against George's bank and uh, the winds still were you know steady but not crazy and uh, slowly but surely, about 4 a.m. came, and then I could start to see because I needed to put more sail up and uh, get get moving uh, as the tides and currents were, were changing on me and everything. And once you get to the edge, then the threat of the crazy tidal currents is a little bit diminished, and uh, you put the hammer down because at that point, my brain was barely working. I was up. I had hit the 24-hour mark. And uh, just trying to sail, wind starts kind of picking up, going up to about the 25 range. And uh, now we're moving pretty good. Seas are picking up. We're bouncing. And by about 6, 6.30 in the morning, I, I had a beer <laughs> just to sort of calm myself a little bit, calm the nerves, I suppose. And uh, And then I just, I came down below. There were... There were a couple of ships. I was right on that border with uh, the fishing border with Canada and the U.S. and came down below and literally just just laid down on the SETI. And uh, I set an alarm for 30 minutes, woke up 15 minutes after that, just dead, dead asleep. Minute, minute I closed my eyes, done. I was out. And then I wake up like, ugh. And I was dreaming and everything. Go up, check, see what's going on, and I feel refreshed after just you know quick little forty-five minute nap, and um, and then continue. the The seas keep building up. Eh, it's only you know five five foot seas, maybe something like that. But it's choppy seas, and uh, and I kind of wanted to be up because it's a great spot for whale watching and all sorts of stuff. Only problem is the fog was only giving me about a hundred yards. Uh, visibility. I did see a big basking shark, maybe in the 18-foot range. Huge fin. So you, with a basking shark, you'll see you'll see its its main dorsal fin, and then you'll see its tail fin. And there's about 10 feet in between them. And then there's a big good chunk of the the fish in front of it with its giant mouth open. Uh, I think those are sort of the bigger 
the second biggest shark next to uh, the whale shark. But see those up here. I saw one last year too, so that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, hour goes by, maybe two hours, and uh, I decide, okay, well, let me let me traffic's thinning out, so let me take a little napper again. Came down below, and again, and it's rare for me. I usually, no matter how tired I am. It's, it takes me a good long while to actually fall asleep. The old brain loves to just crank up uh, right when I try and sleep. So, um, But the instant I closed my eyes and just laid my head back, boom, I was out. And I was out for a good hour, I think, on that one. Wake up after dreaming and like, whoa, whoa, where am I? Check everything. Everything's looking good. Um and uh, and then, yeah, proceed to make some food, all sorts of stuff. The wind is howling. We are crushing it. Absolutely flying. We're reaching across the wind, powering. I got, I got more sail up than I should have had, but I didn't care. I wanted, you know, I know Sparrow can handle a little extra power in her sails. Um, you know, as long as I don't see the... Um, the leeward side, the downwind side shrouds, the big wires that hold the mast up, getting slack to the point where they're, you know, actually moving. Then uh, I know Sparrow can take more. <laughs> so we're just flying, boats vibrate. I mean, we were we were pushing through the water at probably six and a half, seven knots, uh, which is almost physically impossible because of the hull speed. So who knows? I'll just. Leave it up to the magical properties of this this uh, mighty sparrow. But um, yeah, so cruising, blasting, and then just enjoyed the day, really, because then I was in the Gulf of Maine proper. I saw a few lobster pots here and there. Not much like the offshore ones, but uh, not enough to really, really worry about. Plus uh, the fog. I mean, you can't can't see them until it's, they're right on top of you. <clears throat> and... And, uh, I don't know, sometime around 6 o'clock this afternoon, I did the log. <laughs> and then I laid down, and I just woke up uh, just after midnight here, or right at midnight. Uh, now it's 1 a.m. because I had to do some sail changes and avoid a little lobster boat. But uh, I'm having my coffee because now I'm probably not going to sleep through this night. Or maybe I will. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have time. Uh, <laughs> because the outer islands to the approach to Rockland, they are about 50 miles away. The wind is going to keep lightening as uh, over the next um, nine hours. So I may have to put, oh, I hope not, dude, my hands. I'm going to sound like the biggest baby right now, but my hands hurt so bad. <laughs> they just sting just from being in the cold and reefing and, and handling these wet lines, um, you know, and after not doing any of that for so long. Oh, my gosh. Like, ah, it hurts so bad. But you just do it. <laughs> Oh, it hurts. The thought of trying to hoist another sail uh, doesn't sound great, but I might have to do it. Uh, and I will if it looks like, I mean, if I can maintain four to five knots, 
um, over the next 10 hours, then, then I should be pretty much good for my approach. I, I put my sort of limit at about two in the afternoon. If I can get to the outer islands by two, then it's 17 miles to get into Rockland and the wind should pipe back up by then. So it should be, uh, a very doable sail. Uh, again, I just, you know, I'm weary about approaching in there. I mean, literally the sea is speckled with lobster pots up there and they catch on Mongo's blade and uh, that's too much of a threat. So that's the game plan. I'm going to shut this down before the battery trickles down and it, this computer, I don't know, it's, it's great. It's, it's lasted through many, many miles out of sea and, uh, and me on land and stuff, but it's so funny because the little battery thing will get about halfway down and you think, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, i got a good amount of time. And then all of a sudden it'll just be like, battery low, shut down, and it just shuts down. It's all so quick it, it happens out of the blue. And I want to make sure this gets saved because this is a genuine article. Uh, but, yeah, we'll have one more uh, tomorrow and then um, I'll do the wrap-up. And hopefully on Sunday, maybe I'll be able to put out at least the first part of this. Who knows? We shall see. All right, guys. Have a good one. I know I'm going to. Mighty Sparrow, Jerome, out here in the Gulf of Maine. Fog is thick as thieves and uh, ready to keep on rolling and make it in there. All right, coming at you live on the mooring buoy out here in front of Rockland, Maine, next to the seaweed factory, which smells so nice and makes a lot of noise. And they run three shifts, so it's 24 hours a day. But it feels like home. (laughs) Yeah, so this is the day after. So I got back, I got up here yesterday, and yesterday was... Yeah, man, I was so tired after going through all that around George's Bank and getting bashed around in the Gulf of Maine. Then the night closed in, got some good sleep. There was a little bit of traffic, but not too much. And uh, yeah, the next day woke up, had about 50 miles to go or something like that. So I ended up uh, arriving here. Sometime just around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, picked up a mooring. The wind was howling. I get into Rockland Harbor. At least there's no waves in here. But the wind was ripping and somehow very exhausted, tired, all that. Was able to pick up the mooring on the first try. Not bragging or anything, but uh, got the old mooring that I had last year. It's a little funky and messed up, but uh, it's there. Old K-13. And yeah, basically slept last night, talked to, you know, a bunch of people, told them about the trip, all that sort of stuff, caught up on some current events and, and then crashed out and woke up in a fog this morning, not a actual physical fog, but a mental and exhausted fog. It is kind of funny. You know, I, I feel like I could have stayed out at sea for a few months i mean it you know it it felt like that trip went by in about two days and i i don't know the strange thing about it i think is that the exhaustion of 
being out at sea never hits until you actually get back to land. That's when all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I need to sleep for 18 hours. Holy smokes. But I don't know. I For me, really, the the first chunk of the voyage, it was all cake and sleeping and, and just enjoying. It really was once you get up near the traffic at George's Bank. And that, that's always the case. Um, that's when I can't sleep when I want to. And that's when I have to focus really hard and be up on deck in the elements all the time. And that's when that's when solo sailing becomes tedious and difficult. Um, but the challenges were, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I really did. Uh, it definitely makes me want to start whipping out the old passage plan and charts and take a look and see where in this world I want to sail next because uh, Sparrow is not going to be for sale uh, this summer. And I am going to figure out the next voyage, which I think is pretty cool. I'm excited. Um, I want to get back out there, but I got I to gotta come up with a good game plan. And I'll uh, hopefully be delving into that in the coming weeks. But um, the game plan at this point is to be on the mooring for I don't know how long I got to get in there. I think I'm working tomorrow uh, in the, the boat yard, hauling boats, dropping them in, all that sort of stuff, stepping masts. And then uh, once we find a suitable spot, then hopefully haul me out. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get part, part of the team, throw the old blue shirt on, and, you know, mix it up. I, I really – the yard's fun because there's – you're hooting and hollering and, and just trying to – I always try and, and make a pretty good impact as far as positivity – you know, if you, you're spending eight hours at work in the yard, you can either grumble about it and be like, oh, I'd rather be doing so, or you can just make it fun, you know, have a good time, shout at people, hey, how's it going, oh, beautiful day, moving boats, that sort of stuff, and just get everybody juiced up, as I used to say all the time, that, that used to be my, my catchphrase for a number of years, is juice it up, you know, if you, you're ever feeling like you're slacking, you just got to juice it up a little. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's gonna be pretty interesting, but as, as far as the trip went, it was just over a thousand miles. Um, I haven't actually added it all up, but it's probably about 1100 miles and pretty close to a straight shot. I went a little further out in the Gulf stream than, uh, I really needed to, but it was so wonderful out there. There just wasn't any reason to blast on and, uh, and try and, cut all the corners and stuff um and i don't know the the decision to go east of george's bank i don't know i don't know if it was i still saw huge amounts of traffic started out with the big tankers and then it was into the fishing fleets most of the times before i always go through the great south channel in between cape cod and george's and there's a ton of traffic there too so i think i don't think there's any clean easy way to get up into the Gulf of Maine for a solo sailor, uh, it's just part of the gauntlet that you have to go through. I mean, there is the Cape Cod Canal, but again, you're going to go through all this traffic just to get up into, I think it starts in Buzzards Bay or, or near there. So you're dealing with all the traffic going to New York and all that sort of stuff. Then you go through this canal and then, you, then it spits you out and you got Boston traffic right there. 
And then you're so I don't know. I I think it's all. Uh, if I was coastal cruising, yes, absolutely, I'd be in the Cape Cod Canal just to make it easy. Um, and George's Bank is this scary place. Uh, the currents rip through there. There's fog. There's storms. All sorts of you know. It's not a. It's a no joke sort of place. So you you have to. I treat it very similar to the way I treat the Gulf Stream. I'm always watching the weather. If it looks like it's going to be bad, then I'm going to figure something else out. And uh, it's just not a place you want to be when the weather turns really bad. Um, if you want to read a great book about that, it's called uh, Fatal Forecast. I'm not sure who wrote it. Sorry to whoever wrote that. Um, but incredible story. And I think I'm actually going to do a podcast or try to do one about some of my favorite sailing books that I've read. And for that one, I will sit down and write out their titles and and their authors so I can give credit where credit is due. But uh, I got a whole list of the ones that inspired me to get out there on the ocean um, and then also have terrified me uh, about being on the ocean. Just, you know, these crazy hundred year storms that Joe Schmo and this guy and that guy end up being stuck in and they lose their boat and get rescued and sometimes don't get rescued. So pretty crazy stuff. Uh, hopefully that'll come up in the future. Other than that, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I, you know, that's, that's, that's the end of the voyage. The, uh, the end of the, the passage from South Carolina to, to Rockland, Maine and Sparrow's already, like, literally, I, I wasted no time and transitioned the boat right back from offshore mode with the, the bunk being in the cabin and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So now I've already got the sunshade up. I got to put the lights out. I got flags flying because um, we got a lot of schooners and stuff up here, and they've all got flags and everything. And, I don't know. You, you, I want. I want Sparrow to always look sort of dressed up when she's in Rockland. So uh, she's looking real pretty, and um, yeah, I really need to do a nice big cleaning. But I'm gonna take a nap here uh, first and foremost. Uh, it's just after lunchtime, but I've been up. I don't know. I got up super super early again. Uh, I'm gonna be on that sort of weird schedule of sleep for a while. Uh, where you just wake up every couple of hours and, and then just try and go right back to sleep. But, um, yeah, feels good. It was a great trip. Probably one of the best, uh, I just, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that going through great southerly winds, going through the Gulf stream, some of those thunderstorms and just all in all, a fantastic voyage. That, that squall, the big, big squall off Hatteras, that was exciting. Got some good footage of that. And, uh, you know, it was it was quick and easy, but um, it was intense. Those winds were definitely closing in on the old 50-knot barrier for, for at least the first half hour, hour. And then it, it sort of hovered in the mid-40s, but got pretty intense. This all come from the south, so it wasn't uh, an issue as far as building up the seas, but it was exciting. Third reef and, and ripping down these waves, man, it was nice to get that. And then it was really nice to get the calm flat with just enough breeze to keep sailing conditions. Cause I thoroughly enjoy those. I, you know, truth be told, I'm a light wind 
Sailor. I love it. I love give me give me 10 knots of breeze on the beam, nice flat ocean, and I will sit and read a book and just watch the ocean. Oh, hours and hours and hours. Absolutely love it. Boats barely heeled over, big sails up, pushing through the water. Nothing better in my mind. Nothing better at all. So uh with that uh that's it i hope uh i hope everybody enjoyed this um i think it's going to be a two-parter we'll see but uh yeah hopefully well we got some other interviews and things like that coming up too uh with the main gang and there's one guy murphy who he just they broke the mold i mean he's he's one of the coolest people i've ever met He's uh, here. He works at the boatyard, and uh, what I'm hoping, and I think he'll probably enjoy it, and I think you guys would enjoy it. But uh, we're just gonna sit down, hopefully, like once a week, and just it'll be like an added added in thing. Um, man, he's he's. I'll just. I, I don't want to. No spoilers here, but it's gonna be a different kind of podcast. That's gonna be just talking current events, talking anything and everything, getting getting the main perspective from an old scalloper. And a lobsterman and a bottom painter, because he really is uh, salt of the earth, as they say. But uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the flipsy. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, just go to podbean.com, and you can become a patron and keep the show on the air. Also, if you like the music at the beginning, the album is called Deep Teal, and the artist is Adrian Edson. It's available on Amazon Music. And if you want the full story of the trip around the world, the book, the Kindle book, and the audiobook can all be found on Amazon.com, Sailing into Oblivion, the solo nonstop voyage of the mighty sparrow. Fair winds and following seas.